You know, we had these images on the screen, yeah. on television screens of hospitals being overrun in Italy. We had no idea what was going to happen over here. And so I agreed to, to be available in case, for example, one of the full-time judges became ill. Welcome to the Bailiwick Express podcast. My name is Matthew Leach. The format will change week to week. We'll have debates, reviews, hot seat interviews and plenty of guests. So stick with us as we offer some insight on the most important issues we in the Bailiwick face. The Bailiff of Guernsey has been the leading figure of our island since the 13th century, and it is a role that has been adjusted and changed as the years go by. The Bailiff has consistently been a Guernsey qualified lawyer for the past 200 years, and the 89th has been no exception, even if he has been exceptional. Sir Richard Collis has lived a busy and storied life, and he kindly decided to sit down with the Express and discuss his role as Guernsey's leading citizen. We touch on his personal story to becoming bailiff, his retirement during lockdown, the knighthood he received after only two years in the role, and the many charities he now spends his time supporting. Long-standing bailiff, master of the bench now, I think, and um, you're a judge, now knighted, a patron and chair of many community groups and charities. Did you ever expect to be living the life that you have led? No, certainly not. Um... I think there was, my parents always expected that I would become a lawyer, my father was a lawyer, so of course I wanted to do anything but what my father wanted, so I had all sorts of other plans. Um, so at the beginning you were an accountant, is that right? Yes, well, yeah, before that, but my degree was in engineering, maths was my strongest suit at school, Very and the good. principal of the day saw that there were three of us who he thought had Oxford potential, all strong in maths, and he said to each of us that maths at Oxford is very different from what it is at school. He said we'd better do something else. Basically, I think he was telling me that I wasn't clever enough to do maths. So I thought, well, what else is there? And he said, there's physics. And I thought, well, I don't like physics. What else? He said, engineering science. So I thought, well, I'd better do that. Little did I know that in those days, engineering science at Oxford was basically physics. Right. So I ended up, well, I did the degree. I enjoyed life in Oxford. And then when I left, I thought, well, I'll go into industry. And I joined Unilever uh, under their management development program, as they called it in those days. Um, again, on the commercial, well, on the commercial side, and because I was on the commercial side, I was encouraged to take accountancy exams. So I did what was called the cost of management accountancy exams in those days. Had five years at Lever Brothers, which I very much enjoyed, on and off. But I realised I didn't fit in in a large organisation, okay. and then. I was often say Guernsey is a bit like a magnet, and I could feel Guernsey was sort of drawing me back. I never completed the um, the record of work, the work diary or whatever it's called that you have to do. So I never took the accountancy qualification as such. I just did the exams because by the time I'd finished them, I'd decided to come back to Guernsey and retrain as a lawyer. So I then had to go back to university and do a lot, do some law studies that I'd. Um, been adamant I was never going to do in the first place. Why did you decide then to get back into the legal profession or into law? Was it because your dad, was it he had a, a firm himself? Yeah, he, he was an advocate here in Guernsey. Why did I decide it? I just thought, well, I'd like to come back to Guernsey. A legal qualification was a good qualification to have coming back to Guernsey in the early 1980s. 
Um, obviously, with my father's firm, there was, I hoped, an opening for me. I'm much happier. I thought, I remember saying at the time, I'd rather be a big fish in a small pond than a small, pond, a small fish in a big pond. Right, okay. And have a bit more control over my life than working for a large organisation where you're basically expected to do what you're expected to do, which didn't always suit me. So, and Guernsey called you back then, I Guernsey suppose. called me back, yeah. And how did that legal profession then lead into Deputy Bailiff and Bailiff? To be Bailiff or Deputy Bailiff, because the principal role is that of a judge, you have to be legally qualified. So um, I suppose in theory a, a Bailiff or Deputy Bailiff could come from outside the aisle and be qualified elsewhere, but in recent times all the Bailiffs and Deputy Bailiffs had been at the bar in Guernsey. And so were you chosen, or do you, you put yourself forward, or you, do you get nominated? How did, how did the process work for you at the time? Well, it goes back, go back to 2005, yeah. and that's when a vacancy came up for Deputy Bailiff. Yeah. That's when Sir David Carey retired as Bailiff, and um, Jeff Rowland took yeah. his place as Bailiff, and there was therefore a vacancy for Deputy Bailiff, and the way it worked was a letter would go around the bar inviting advocates of a certain number of years call. And I can't remember now whether it was 10, 12 or 15 years, whatever it was, I'd done enough years, inviting them to apply. And normal expectation had been that the procurer would move up. Right. But through a client, I happened to be aware that the procurer of the day was not planning to apply so it may be that I was the only one aware that the opportunity was there, but I've always sort of assumed I was probably the only applicant. I applied and I was appointed. And how does it apply? Mm. The bailiff sends a recommendation to the Lieutenant Governor, who then passes it on to the Ministry of Justice these days, Yeah. because it's a Crown appointment. So the, the actual appointment comes from Her Majesty. Wow. Again, because it's a judicial office, so it's it's... It's not a political process. Yeah, um, it's it's a royal appointment, crown appointment. And I was going to ask about your because you have a the dual role kind of changed back in I suppose two thousand and four. I mean, how much of a political role did you have? Well, there's no political role as such. That the role is a parliamentary role, as the presiding officer of the states of deliberation. So in that role, you're there to moderate debate, make sure that debate is conducted according to good parliamentary behaviour, the rules of the, of the states themselves. So there's no political um, functions at all. Um, nearly seven years as deputy bailiff, yeah. while Jeff Rowland was bailiff, Sir Geoffrey was bailiff, and then when he retired I replaced him as bailiff, and that's more or less um, automatic. I mean, it's, not, it's not automatic, but... Right, is it assumed? Um, it's assumed, yeah. so provided you've been of good behaviour, I suppose. Which you had? <laughs> Which obviously <laughs> it was thought I had been. So, yeah, 2012, March 2012, so now nine years ago, wow. I was appointed, and I enjoyed it. Um, originally, I was appointed to age 65, but because I was enjoying it, I asked if I could possibly be extended for another two years, yeah. and hence I served until, until 67, served until a year ago. Yeah, and I suppose for most people, I mean, I don't... What is the day-to-day -day life? I mean, what what do what do you do day-to-day -day life? Not asking that in a yeah. in that kind of way, but what what is the daily life of a bailiff? What did your job entail? No two days are the same, um, and that's part of the fun of the role. I think there's so much variety. 
So really there are three functions. There's a judicial one, that as bailiff, one is the senior judge within the island, sitting mainly in the royal court, but the bailiff is also president of the court of appeal. So there's there's that judicial role, that's one role. There's the parliamentary role as presiding officer of the states of deliberation and the states of election, presiding officer of the states. And then the third role is really a community one. The bailiff is seen as, I guess, the the senior community figure and in in that role gets invited to be patron of lots of organisations and attends a lot of events. So so there's three roles and each day one is is juggling juggling all of them. So might be sitting in, in the Royal Court presiding over a case or perhaps in the Court of Appeal. Well, it's not often the Guernsey bailiff sits in this island because it may be cases that he's been involved with. Yes. But I was also, a, a, and it normally is the case, that the bailiff is in, appointed also to the Jersey Court of Appeal. So okay. I sat as an appeal judge in Jersey. And I was also appointed to sit in an appeal capacity in the Isle of Man in what they call their Staff of Government Division. So I was appointed as an acting deemster to enable me to sit in on appeals in the Isle of Man. And then there's also often a, a role representing the island off the island, yeah. particularly the, the French. The French love the fact that the bailiff, as a role, has its tradition, its origins in Norman customary law in, in Norman times. Reach a certain level as an advocate in Guernsey, you need to have done a number of French... Is that right? Okay. Yes, unless you have a French law degree of, and I can't remember the exact name of the degree you have to have, but unless you have that, you have to complete a course in Coy University, wow. which at one time, and my father did it, it was a two-year course. Our law at that time was so much closer to French law than it is now. Is it because it's written in French? Well, the, the basis of our law is Norman customary law. Okay. So the, the fact that our property law and the origin of... Now, conveyancing everything to do with property is so different from English law is because it derives from Norman law. Our inheritance laws derived from Norman law, though they've now been heavily amended by statute. So one needs to, und- and there are still certain aspects of our law where it is the customary law that is applied. Oh. So we do on occasions have to refer back to commentators on the customary law writing in the 15th, 16th, 17th centuries. Customary law disappeared in France with Napoleon when he standardised with the Code Napoleon, standardised law across France. Prior to then there was customary law. The customary law is simply the custom of the people. So if something became so accepted as as the custom of an area, the, the king's courts or the duke's courts would enforce that and it therefore had the authority of law even though it was never written in statute. So did you develop, it sounds like you developed a bit of a passion for law and, le- and legal work, even if that wasn't your original intention at the beginning. Yeah, I, I did. I, th- I often think, I don't, I mean, I'm fascinated by normal customary law, um, but I don't particularly enjoy law as such as an academic subject. I think because I didn't do a three-year law degree, I did a crash course, basically a 12-month diploma, so I didn't study law as an academic subject in the way that most lawyers will. So okay. I wouldn't say I have a passion for law as an academic subject. What I like is almost the the fact that 
as a lawyer, as a judge, you are helping people to solve their problems. Who are, yeah. And I, th I often say that, although it sounds extraordinary to have been an engineer and then become a lawyer, that scientific training is actually a very good training for all sorts of things. Kind of we, analytical, I suppose. It's the same, and it's exactly the same analytical approach that a lawyer uses an engineer. An engineer will have a problem, he'll gather the data, the measurements, whatever it is, just as the lawyer has a problem, gathers the evidence. The lawyer eliminates the inadmissible or the irrelevant, the engineer does the same. And the lawyer then almost taps that into a formula, which is the law, just as an engineer will tap it into an engineering formula. And you, you think it through and, and you come up with a solution at the end. It's exactly the same process that a, a scientist goes through to solve a scientific problem yeah. as a lawyer goes through to solve a legal problem. Do you still do, are you still involved in legal work now? I am, yes, I am a lieutenant bailiff, which um, I hadn't, which means I, I can sit as a judge in the Royal Court. I had intended to give up completely and do um, community work, but because of Covid I agreed that I would be available. One tries to think back 12 months ago yeah. when we first locked down, so around the time that I was planning my retirement, none of us knew what was going to happen. You know, we had these images on the screen, yeah. television screens of hospitals being overrun in Italy, mass deaths. We had no idea what was going to happen over here, and so um, I agreed to, to be available in case, for example, one of the full-time judges became ill. It would right, have been okay. necessary for me to, to sit there, but otherwise I'm not expecting to sit unless there's some extraordinary real need, circumstance. Some real need. Well, it's interesting that you touched on um, COVID and the pandemic and all of that, because of course you stood down during, it was during lockdown, is that correct? Yeah. And, and it must have been a very unusual time to, to stand down as a sitting bailiff. It was. Um, the original plan had been to um, stand down immediately after Liberation Day which would have been the 75th anniversary, so that would have been wonderful to go out on a, on a real high. Um, and it immediately before the election process then opened, because I don't think it would be right to be um, for a bailiff to retire while the election is underway. And if you remember, we were due to have an election in June last year, and the hustings would have opened early May. So I would have I would have retired straight after Liberation Day and just before Hustings opened and right. the new bailiff would have been there for, for all of that process. With lockdown, it became obvious that that wouldn't be possible. So one decision was whether whether to go ahead as planned or perhaps to delay it. Yeah. But delaying it wouldn't be fair on the incoming bailiff and deputy bailiff who were both wanting to come in. And if one was delaying, how, how long would it be delayed for? We didn't know then whether it would be just a month or fortnight, or, you know, three months, six months or whatever. It could have been so anything at that point. could have been anything. Yeah. So hence the, the decision taken was to retire. So it was a strange time to go. And I'm sure we all regret that it wasn't possible to have the Liberation Day last year that we'd yeah. hoped for. One of my sons was working as a hospital doctor in London in an intensive care ward. And he's the one who said to me, it's going to take longer than that. Because of what he was telling me and what he was seeing firsthand um, persuaded me that, yeah, it was, um, it could be a lot longer. How has the pandemic affected you and your family at this moment? Are your, is your 
So you see your son's away in the UK. When was the last time you saw him? And the last time I saw him, I went over for the England-Wales rugby match on 5th or 6th of March last year, beginning of March last year. And I saw him there at Twickenham. I haven't seen him since. My daughter came back as England locked down, so she was here till the summer. I haven't seen her since August. And my other son came back in September, and he's here, so I've seen him through this lockdown. But as a family... We haven't been together for over a year, which is very unusual for us. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people are going through the same thing, I guess, completely. I was going to ask about your uh, uh, family life during time as a bailiff. I mean, how did that tie in? How did your family see you as, you know, Dad is the bailiff for Guernsey? (laughs) I dare you'd have to ask them how they saw me. I never quite believed I was the bailiff of Guernsey, so... I was going to say that you were, um, I mean, you were united, Sir Richard... Um, and that was only after two years. Is So that must have been quite... Was that quite a surprise? Uh, it was a surprise. Yeah, and it was a lovely surprise. It was Prince William. One sees it on television of you know, the, and in the press, the photographs of people being honoured. Wonderful occasion. I was allowed to take three guests, so I took the three children. Yeah, it was a very, very memorable day. So now, no longer the bailiff, but you are a patron, you are part of different charities. Talk through with me some of the work that you're doing these days? Well, as bailiff, I was patron of a lot of charities. I thoroughly enjoyed that, but I felt that as patron, you're not actively involved. And really, I thought when I retire, I'd like to have a more active role doing working in the community, and I thought maybe there would be things that I'd be able to achieve. So I actually resigned all my patronages on retiring as bailiff. One or two have asked me to go back, so I have agreed in a few cases... But yes, I'm involved in a number of things. Probably the most active is as chairman of the Guernsey Community Foundation, Yes, which is an organisation that was established to promote effective philanthropy. So it has a number of very generous um, donors who support the, the activities with grants. We have some employed staff. We administer grants. So um, we're able to support other charities by offering them grants. We also undertake some research of our own and seek to promote. And at the moment, with the state seeking to right-size government, and I'm not quite sure what that means, but whatever it is, there's no doubt that the states see a role for the third sector. And I think there's a real opportunity for the third sector to be working closely with the states. There's already a lot that the third sector does, which in many other jurisdictions would be done by government. Some of it is funded or in part or in whole by government. There's an awful lot that's done by the third sector without any government funding, which, as I say elsewhere, government would perhaps be involved with. So there's a real opportunity for the third sector and the government to work together. The other organisations I'm involved with, I'm a director of Help a Guernsey Child, um, are very active in helping families with sometimes quite small what would seem quite small donations to other people but to families who have little or no means what can be a small donation can make a huge difference to the, the future of their children so that's that's one that I'm delighted to be involved with another one I've I have been appointed as an assistant governor of the ladies college so I've joined the okay. board of the ladies college which is interesting because I am a former pupil having attended Melrose so as an old boy in Ladies <laughs> College, I'm, I'm delighted to be involved there. 
and I think they yeah, it's, it's a very interesting time to be involved in education. And What's your feelings on the on the future of Guernsey? And um, why is the bailiff? Why was the bailiff to you? If I want to return to that one point, is um, why is it such an important role to the island, and why is it needed in the way that it is used? There's so many ways one can answer that question, but I believe in tradition. The bailiff is a symbol of of the island's traditions. I also think it's very important that we maintain and appreciate our ancient culture, our heritage. We're not Little England. I don't think any Guernsey Pierce person wants to be Little England. And anglicisation creeps in everywhere, but it's very important that we recognise. And that's not to say that we should just do Guernsey things because they're Guernsey things. We need to adjust and adapt. The role of bailiff is, as I say, part of our tradition, part of our heritage. The role has adapted, it's evolved. I'm sure it will continue to evolve, but I feel that particularly with a non-party political system, and yes, we have some embryonic parties, but we're still essentially a non-party political system, to have a totally independent person sitting there moderating debate is a good thing to do because the bailiff has no political allegiances. He shows no favouritism to one member or another. He treats every member the same. And in a consensual system of government, which is what we do have, I think that's very important. And I think there's a community role for the bailiff to continue to play. Is that a hard balance to maintain, the kind of being completely uh, devoid of any political leanings, to being just the person who's sitting right straight down the middle? No, I don't think so, because as a judge, that's what you're doing as a judge. As a judge, you're sitting there, you're, you're listening to the evidence, you're, and, and as, as bailiff, you're doing the same thing. You're, you're listening to what's going on and ensuring fair play, ensuring the rules are followed. To somebody with judicial training, it comes quite easily, quite naturally. And so you mentioned you are in, involved in the hospice as well. Before I became deputy bailiff, I was chairman of the hospice for a few years, And I I thoroughly enjoyed it. I think that's a a very worthwhile charity, very much appreciated by everybody on the island. It's a pleasure to be involved. I'm also involved as a patron, as it happens, with the Coatills, and they're doing some excellent work too. So it's lovely to have that broad portfolio of different organisations where hopefully I can make a difference and help to make the island a better place. So you're still keeping very busy then? (laughs) Yeah, it keeps me busy. Is there anything... um left that you haven't ticked off? Anything, that, any other aspirations or, or...? Well, my main aspiration on retiring was just to be free to come and go and travel as and when I wanted, so oh, that, that has yet to happen. Put on that. so that's what I'm looking forward to most when we can. Well, thank you for giving year. me this opportunity to... I think it's lovely speak. for um, the people who are going to see to hear from their bailiff. Thank you for listening to the Bailiwick Express podcast. The title track was Shift My Weight by Luno. If you enjoyed it, I know it's a pain, but please like and share. It all helps. And remember, you can hit bailiwickexpress.com to stay right up to date with whatever is happening in the Bailiwick. You can find us online, on social, on email and on internet radio. There'll be more from me, Matthew Leach and all the Bailiwick Express team next Friday.